0: Good morning, we are thankful for your attendance this morning for the good number that is present here We've got quite the uh, crowd of folks. We've got several visitors in our midst We want you to know that we are thankful that you are here this morning as I look around at some of the visitors There's some of you I may not have met before but some who are returning some who are dear friends and family And we are thankful for you being here this morning. We have several of our members who are away and traveling for various reasons. We're thankful that some of you have returned. Thankful for the Corbin's safe trip out and back again. And we're thankful for for all of you who are here this morning. We're always thankful, even as Brian said a few moments ago, uh, for those who place membership here. We're always looking to, to add, a little bit selfishly, add to our family here. We're thankful for all the folks that meet here and assemble together. We're thankful for the Sneed family that's recently placed membership as we continue to get to know them. We're thankful for Jessica and Tanner as well. I've told several of you this, but they, we have a special relationship and that I helped tie their knot uh, and to perform their wedding ceremony. And I was very thankful when Jessica asked me if I would do that. We've known her and now Tanner for a while, and they are a great blessing to us. And we know as you get to know them... They will be that for you as well, a great source of encouragement, and we look forward to getting to know them. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to make it very easy this morning. We're going to look at a couple of supporting passages, but we're just going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you may be turning there this morning, we would make mention, as was already said a moment ago, about our, uh, the things that happened on Wednesday here. We hope that everyone was safe and didn't have any damage. Uh, Harris and I were talking on Wednesday and Thursday a little bit. If you know of anyone that's in need of something, uh, we would gladly, the, the elders here, I'm sure, and the congregation would be glad to help in any way we can. If, if anyone in this area in particular is looking for some help after some damage and some things like that. I want to mention as well, because I have the largest crowd here uh, on Sunday morning, if you've got your bulletin, you may have noticed a little note in there about our one-call system. Uh, that, I've been involved with that before when we were a part of the Dunlap Congregation. Faith and I got involved with it this past week in trying to put out a call so that everyone would know that services were canceled. Uh, if you... One problem that we had with that was Faith's number was attached to that. So when you would see a missed call from Faith on Wednesday, Faith got about 30 calls on Wednesday afternoon with everybody wanted to know why she was calling everybody in the congregation. Uh, I, we have gone and updated that, and now the number that you will see should be the Saudi Church of Christ. So if you see... The Saudi Church of Christ call you any time in the future. Uh, You might listen. It may be Carl. Carl's called me from the building before about something. Uh, But it may be a note about a sickness or, uh, unfortunately, if someone has passed away or even something like we're having to cancel services. So uh, I had faith put that in there because we want to try to utilize that. As best we can, uh, but we want you to understand where that call is coming from and who it may be. And it's not just faith trying to bother you about something, but we're trying to get some information to you uh, that you need to know potentially even about having to cancel services. But we are thankful for the safety that we had, even though we had a little damage here. Uh, and we're thankful for our first responders from the city and others around. And again, if there's anything we can do, uh, please let us know as we want to help those in the community who may have had some harm. Second Timothy chapter 3. When we think about... 2 Timothy chapter 3, I asked the question to begin this morning, are we talking about the first century or are we talking about today? I think you would agree with me that, that for the most part, when we're talking about first century things, we would understand that. When we're talking about today... We would understand that. You see, if we talk about cell phones, we talk about the internet, we even talk about cars, for that matter, we talk about church buildings, maybe even for that matter, that would be foreign to those in the first century, if we had anyone here this morning who was from that time period. And of course, there are things that they would do and practices that they would go through that would be foreign to us. But yet, when we think about what the Bible has to say, we think about the context and the background of what the Bible has to say, we know that there are some similarities. You see, I say this a lot sometimes, I try not to repeat myself too bad, but but we sometimes want to talk about how bad the world is today, and there are a lot of things wrong. But when we look at the sins that we're dealing with, when we look at the problems in our society, sometimes there aren't that many differences. How we consume it, how we watch it, or how we can partake of it may be a little different. But at the same time, when we ask this question sometimes, are we talking about the first century or today? Maybe may be hard to differentiate on some things and some biblical things. You see, when you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 there, Paul begins by talking to Timothy about, but know this, in the last days... Now we are in the last days, this could be a sermon in and of itself, so for our time's sake this morning we kind of have to just mention it and move on. When we think about Isaiah chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, we've been studying Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, uh, on our Wednesday night class we've been looking at the book of Daniel. Uh, we, we see them pointing toward the last days, mentioning the last days, and we see the New Testament talking about in these last days. Days That doesn't mean we we know that we don't know the hour. We know that the Lord could return at this moment or today or any time. But we understand that the last days in general is talking about the, the Christian age or the Christian dispensation, the time period that we're living in. We are living in the last days. And Paul begins by pointing that out here. He says as well, there are perilous times there in verse number one that in the last day perilous times will come. He says as well in verse number 6, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts. So we see people who might be accused, or, or rightfully so, of creeping in, if you will. And then even on down into verse 13, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, the question is, are we talking about the first century or are we talking about today? It doesn't take very long sometimes to turn on the news and to get a little depressed, if you will, to to think about the world around us and how, how terrible the situation is. We think about those who would be creeping in. We think about things getting worse and worse. And it sounds like if we opened up a book, any book, not necessarily something bound such as this or in this color, but any book and saw those words, we would think someone was talking about today. Today's world. But we are thinking about Paul's writing here to Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3, the things that are taking place to Timothy right then and during that time. But when we think about the comparison... And we're going to look at several things this morning. We want to take a look at what application we can make to our life even today. Notice first from this chapter, and we're not going to go verse by verse specifically, but we're going to pretty much stay here in the chapter. Notice first there's a group of people who are living sinfully. There are a group of people living sinfully. Sound like today? Absolutely. Does it sound like the time of Timothy? Absolutely. Notice with me in verses 2 through 4. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now there's one of those lists. Now I've mentioned to you before, I think, I I wanted to put together a sermon or a series of sermons on Paul's list. Because a lot of those lists, we see words like murderers. And we go, wait a minute, that's not me. Ah, There's nothing in that list that has anything to do with me. Who's Paul talking to when he writes that? But this is one of those lists here that I think gets a little closer to home. Without self-control. Lovers of money. Unthankful. Traitors. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It hits home a little closer to us there when we think about that. But there is a group of people who are living simply. Look as well at verses 6 through 7. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, this type of people, a type of people who would be considered to be living sinfully when we look around us today we certainly see that and then again in verse 13 but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived notice here paul talks about a group of people who are living sinfully the questions at the top of the screen there is it the new testament or is it today well the answer could be both Notice, Paul says to stay away. If you've got your Bible open there, look at the end of verse number five. And from such people, turn away. We're going to kind of make application here in just a moment at the end. But we already see Paul giving that information. From such people, turn away. Stay away from these folks. You know, there's a, again another whole lesson in and of itself about warning signs. And things we need to be on the lookout for, things that we need to stay away from, Paul says, stay away, turn away from such people. Those that are listed in the verses here on the screen. So notice, first of all, there's a group of people living sinfully. New Testament or today? Well, notice, secondly, there is a clear delineation. All right? We're using the high dollar words this morning. I hope you can see the screen to spread it out. That's not on purpose. That's just kind of the way it flowed there. But there's a clear delineation as you're trying to fill in all your blanks there. Notice there's a clear delineation. Verse number 10. What begins the word, uh, The verse number 10 there? What word? But. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. Manner of life. Purpose. Faith. Long-suffering. Love. Perseverance. And we'll stop there for the sake of time right now. But. So there's a delineation. We can see one thing, but here is something else. Notice as well verse 13. How does verse 13 begin? But, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now in this way, it's flipped, if you will. We're talking about, he's been talking about the good folks, but here come the evil folks again. But there is a delineation. And notice as well verse 14. What does verse 14 begin with? But, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. He turns it around again. He says, here's the good, but they're evil, but then there needs to be some good as well. What's the point we're trying to make here? The point we're trying to make is, Paul is telling us, there can be a judgment. Notice the words there, notice the phrasing, there can be a judgment judgment i'm not talking about the judgment i'm not talking about the day of judgment i'm talking about the judgment that you can make and the judgment that i can make about things of this life one of the the greatest tragedies maybe at the core of what is wrong with the world today as we use that phrase sometimes is the idea of postmodernism. there's your high dollar word there as well Postmodernism, or the idea that there is no absolute truth the, the idea that what's right for you is what's right for you. What's right for me is what's right for me. And no one can tell us any different. How can we make any judgment on anything when uh, whatever you feel like today is okay. Whatever I, I feel like tomorrow is okay. Then we've got a problem on our hands. Because people say, don't judge. You can't judge me. But I would submit that not only here in Second Timothy chapter 3, but in many other places, Paul would tell us and the Bible tells us that there can be a judgment. In fact, there has to be judgment. We have to look at some things and say, that is evil. That is sinful. And that is right. That is something that we should be participating in. There can be a line of delineation. There can be a judgment. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is trying to draw one. He's trying to say, I can tell you what evil is, and I can tell you what good is. And you need to follow along with what is good. But... It's a very powerful word. I preach a sermon on that word in and of itself in the various passages that it's used in. But when we shift, we can tell there is a delineation. There is a judgment that can be made on right and wrong. So notice that there is a delineation. Are we talking about the New Testament? Are we talking about today? And then thirdly this morning, notice that there is a group of people living godly. So we've got folks who are living sinfully. We see this line of delineation that there is a right and wrong, but we also have a group of people who are living godly. In this case, in this particular case here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's not necessarily talking about a group in this moment. Although I would submit to you, we know that Paul went around in his missionary journeys helping out the congregation of the Lord's people. There were groups of people who were doing what is right. In this case, though, Timothy is setting the standard. First of all, in verse number 10, by following Paul's example, notice that Paul says there, but you, and again, we're using the idea of this group of people, group of people living godly, but you would notice as well, Timothy is setting the standard. Paul says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, and the list goes on from there even into verse 11. Timothy is following Paul's example. We know that Paul says, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. Paul doesn't pump himself up and stick his chest out and say, I'm the best in the world. I'm the greatest there ever was. He says, I'm trying to do what's right. And I'm trying to imitate Christ. And if that's what I'm doing, then you should be able to imitate me. And as he set this example in doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, Timothy sets the example by following those things. And look as well in verse 14. We looked at it just a moment ago, but Timothy sets the example by remembering these things from his youth. Notice Paul says, but you must continue in the things which you have heard, which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and on into verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We preached a lesson a few weeks ago or a month or so ago on our young people, the importance of teaching them. We see here Timothy. We know Timothy and his story from his childhood. He has known the Holy Scriptures. And Paul says, set the standard. Set the standard for those who would live godly by remembering the things I've given to you, the example I've left for you, and remembering the things that you have learned from your youth. So not only is there a group of people living sinfully, there's a lot of delineation. There's a group of people living godly. Our question, are we talking about the New Testament? Or are we talking about today? When we look around us, we see the very same situation that we see there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. There are things that are different. I understand that. But I think there are a lot of similarities. And of course, this morning, as we kind of turn the page here, and on the back half of the lesson, we want to think about taking the same encouragement that Timothy did. As Paul is writing these words, he's encouraging Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy to follow these things. But can we not take that same encouragement even this morning? You see, when I look at this particular passage of Scripture, I I begin to read in verse 1, I think about perilous times. I think about perilous men. I think about how terrible things around us can be. Paul says there is evil. But he says there's a group of people living godly. And Timothy, you can be a part of that. And you can take encouragement to that. So this morning in our second half of our lesson we're going to give you three things. Three things because Paul, of course, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't leave us to wonder. Yeah, I mean that's the beautiful part of the Bible. We're never left to have to wonder about what we should do or how we should handle a situation. God by inspiration by this Holy Spirit to inspire men gave us all that pertains to life and godliness. All that we need to know. To handle the situations that we come into in our lifetime. Notice as the screen says, it may not always be easy. It may not always be something that we like to do. But we should, as we sometimes say, press on. We're going to look at another passage in a moment where Paul uses that type of phrase there. But we should press on. Because if we press on, if we continue on, we will and we can find our eternal reward. Let's make some application. First of all, this morning, what can we do? What should we do? Paul, what are you telling us to do here in this particular passage? Number one, suffer. Look at verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you see any wiggle room in there? I don't. This is not a question. If you want to desire to live godly, you must suffer. As I've said in a sermon before, otherwise you may be needing to reconsider what you're doing. Because you may be doing it wrong. If you're trying to blend in with everyone else, you may be doing it wrong. If you've got your Bible, look with me in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16. You know this passage, I've used it other times because to me, I've said this, but it's one of the strongest word pictures in the Bible. Revelation chapter 3, it begins back in verse 14 and verse 15, but in verse 16, Jesus says, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't want to get too um, off-color or disgusting in the lesson here, but, but... Vomiting is a is a bad word in our household, right? We still got little kids. There still is vomit around sometimes that, that somebody's got to clean up, all right? That is a little disgusting for people to have to handle. But when you think about this idea of the Son of God saying, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Why? Because you're lukewarm. You see, when Paul says here that we are to suffer, what's he saying? He's saying you need to be hot. You need to be hot. You need to be doing something. You need to be living godly. Because if you're living godly, you will suffer. Now there's a blessing in that. God promises to take care of us in that. But yet we have to do that. The idea here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16 is that we can be lukewarm. When we're lukewarm, we don't usually suffer very much. It's pretty easy sometimes. But if we're lukewarm... Jesus says, the Son of God says, I will spew you out of my mouth. I would rather you be hot or cold. We have to suffer. When we think about how would Timothy handle this situation, what is Paul saying that we need to do? We need to suffer. Now, there's various forms of that. Sometimes it's, it's mental mental struggle, sometimes it's it's people who make fun of us. Sometimes it's people who alienate us or put us aside. Many times today, we don't have to uh, suffer as those in the first century did, or the New Testament world did, if you'll use the phrase that way. We're not actually beaten necessarily or put in prison. We sometimes think it might come to that, and maybe it will. But we don't have to suffer in that way. But it doesn't have to be grand suffering either. Sometimes it's the suffering that we've spoken up and said something to a loved one who needs to become a Christian. Sometimes it's that we speak up to a family member and say, "You know what? You're wrong. You're wrong because God says you're wrong, and I will pray for you and I want you to change." Sometimes that's difficult, and we have to suffer because of that. Not with blood, but sometimes with tears, sometimes with mental anguish. But Paul says, "We have to suffer if we want to continue through these perilous times and perilous men. We need to and we'll have to suffer." Secondly, this morning, you must continue. Notice again in verse 14 there, Paul says, you must continue. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Another question. Does anything in this life allow us to quit? Does anything in this life allow us to quit? Yeah, sometimes we quit on something. Sometimes we quit on a, on a team or a, an athletic team or something and we drop out and don't, don't participate anymore. Maybe we quit something else that we were trying to do or attempting to look at. But for the most part, if we want to be successful, if we want to achieve something, we're not allowed to quit. Why then? Why do we think that Christianity should be that way? Why do we expect God to understand what we're saying and what we're feeling and how difficult it is and allow us just to quit? We have to continue. Continue to press on. And if you've got your Bibles, excuse me, I'll go backwards, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 16. I told you we'd get to some some phrases where Paul uses this here in just a moment. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul here writing to those in Philippi but continuing with the same idea says... Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I, and there it is, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. There it is again, I press, I press toward the goal the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul is urging those that would hear these words to press on to not count that you've already attained it but to keep reaching forward for something we must continue in the things that we have learned and heard just as Timothy was receiving these things from Paul we are doing the very same thing and we must continue it's very easy sometimes to want to quit and sometimes we do quit on a sunday morning when it's hard to get up on a wednesday night when we don't feel so well On a Thursday or Friday or Saturday when it's easier just to go along with the crowd than to stand out or to stand up and be counted on. We must continue in the things that we have learned from the Word of God. It's not always easy, but it's something we must strive for. And then finally this morning, we need to equip ourselves. Verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is what you know, right? From 2 Timothy chapter 3. Nothing wrong with that. But this is what we know. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And amen. Rightfully so. That's a wonderful, powerful passage. But why? In verse 17. Why is that so the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work? Notice with me as well the obvious question once again. Who can fight? How can we continue if we are not equipped? We do not take the time this morning to look at the whole passage in Ephesians chapter 6, but you know that passage very well. The idea of the whole armor of God. How can we fight if we're not equipped? Why would you show up to baseball practice without your glove and your bat or your helmet? Why would you go to work without all the necessary things that you might need to accomplish your job? Why would we think we can do anything in this life, unless we are equipped. And then why do we treat Christianity any different? We spend so much time in our life training on things. And don't get me wrong, we need it. All right? I've spent countless hours before on the road or away from my family with my job because I needed to go to Memphis or to Indiana or to Connecticut and be trained on something. There's nothing wrong with that. We put our kids sometimes through countless hours of baseball practice or basketball practice or whatever it is. We spend our life sometimes in training. It's all right, But once again, why do we treat Christianity any different? We have to suffer. We have to continue. And we have to equip ourselves with all those things that are listed. There's your homework if you want some. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20. Be reminded of how we need to equip ourselves with all these things so that we are prepared. We are ready to fight the devil and all the things that he would come with to attack us. Are we talking about the New Testament or, excuse me, are we talking about the New Testament or are we talking about today? If we want to be prepared, if we want to be prepared to handle these perilous times and perilous men, then we can look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll be the first person to admit that many times in my life I'll look at a scripture or one particular passage, one, verses, one verse or two verses together, and move on. We don't always take the time to look at an entire passage or entire chapter of the Bible. We could have even dug even deeper into this this morning. And in fact, if you'll be back with us again this evening at 5 o'clock, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. We're going to take a look again at kind of a whole passage there in and of itself or a particular set, section of scripture. When you think about 2 Timothy chapter 3, the perilous times, the perilous men, what can we do? Because I submit to you that Paul was talking about those in the New Testament, those in the first century. I submit to you that Paul is talking about us today because we face some of the very, very same things and we need to be prepared. Just as Paul was imploring, encouraging Timothy to be prepared, we need to be doing so in the same manner. This morning that begins though with God's simple plan. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never even taken the first steps to becoming a Christian. You had an opportunity to hear the word this morning. We're thankful for that. We would pray that you would believe it. That you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We know John chapter 8 and verse 24 that Jesus says that we must believe. Or we will die in our sins. We know as well that he says in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. Repent or perish. One of those very simple statements. Repent or or perish. So we know that we have to repent of our sins and we have to confess, not our sins in this case, but confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Because we know that as we do that and confess him before men, he has promised that he will be faithful and confess us before the father. And then after we take those different steps and follow that plan, we are ready to be baptized For the remission of our sins, so that the Lord will add us to his church just as he did there in Acts chapter 2. We know that the church is not this building, but the church is the people. The church is the body, not only those gathered here in Saudi, Daisy, Tennessee this morning, but those around the world who would be baptized for the remission of their sins, added to the church to begin living faithfully. But as you know, we live in perilous times among perilous men maybe you're here this morning and those types of things that have, have seeped into your life sin has entered your life and separated you from your god we're thankful for god's second law of pardon that we have an opportunity to repent of our sins to confess those to god to pray for forgiveness and again He has promised to forgive us of those that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. you see the beautiful part of being together this morning is that we encourage each other and the beautiful part of being together is that no one here has to walk out those doors with a fear or worry on their mind. Maybe you're here and you need to become a Christian. Maybe you're here and you need to come back to Him. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with something else in your life. This great group of people assembled together would gladly pray with you and for you if you'll come forward and make it known as we stand together and as we sing.